Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today we're talking about financial plans, but not in the way you think. We're talking about abundance, and we're talking about changing the way you think about finances. And more importantly, if you're a professional out there, we're talking to you about the way you talk to other people about their finances. We all have the weight of the world on our shoulders. We have this constant pressure of saving for college, saving for retirement, saving to buy that big house, or saving to take that dream vacation. And it feels like a burden, but it doesn't have to. You're in for a treat today because my guest is Ellen Rogan. She's the abundance activist, and she's gonna help us think differently about how we approach our finances, how we approach your financial future, and how you talk to other people when it comes to talking about finance. Please join me in welcoming Ellen to the Inside BS Show. Ellen, thanks for joining us. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Let's start with the abundance activist. Fantastic. And not just for the alliteration, it's fantastic because it really puts me in such a better frame of mind about the way to look at the world. How did you come up with that and how does it apply to what you do every day? The, uh, title, Abundance Activist, actually someone mentioned that to me and I said, oh, I love that. And originally when I started this, the idea was that I'm all about people thinking abundantly versus in scarcity ways. And I wanted to be an activist out there. And then over the years, what I've realized is there's actually ways to activate your own abundance. And so I I look at it both ways. All right. So explain to us the difference between having an abundance mindset versus having a mindset of scarcity. What, how, 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 are, how are the two different and explain, give us maybe a couple of examples. Yeah, so I'll explain that and I have a visual uh, metaphor I've been playing with lately that seems to be super helpful for people. So scarcity is uh, where most people in the world actually live. And that is fear-based, like really worrying about money, aggressive competition, feeling like there's not enough to go around. It can show up for people when something good happens to someone you know, and instead of being really excited for them, you're a little bit either judgy, like, oh, that shouldn't have happened to them, or maybe envious, like, why didn't that happen to me? And anytime you get anything but excited when you hear something good happening to someone in your life, then you know you're leaning on the scarcity side. Um, uh, The prosperity abundance side of things is when you realize there's unlimited opportunities out there. There's plenty of business for everyone that you are excited for good things happening to other people in your lives. And it's really more of a, a positive, optimistic look. And one of the way the visuals that I think has helped is to think about going ag- against the current or with the current. So against the current, um, can you swim against a current? Yes, it's much harder. Uh, my husband, Stephen, did an Ironman competition a few years ago, and he's a good swimmer, but he did great for his age group in the swim. And part of the reason was he was in the Ohio River. It was a Louisville um, Ironman. And he was going with the current, so it helped him. Um, And when we think about scarcity thoughts, that's swimming against the current. There are plenty of people that do well financially 
that are going against the current, maybe they're fear-based, but it's just so much harder. Like, why would you want to do that? And with the current is when things just flow more easily, whether it's in your personal life or your business life, that all of a sudden the pieces start falling into place. Yeah, I, I think your I think your analogy is great, and I would I would stick with it because with the current and against the current is certainly it certainly brings it really uh, brings it home. It's a it paints a very nice picture. So let's let's give um, let's give a couple of examples. So you use the example of hey, your friend gets promoted, or a competitor uh, is trumpeting their success. You see it every day on LinkedIn. Right, I see my competitors every day on LinkedIn talking about the big client they landed, right? But the fact that they landed that big client, that doesn't take anything away from my ability to land a big client. In fact, I could land a big client the same day a competitor lands a big client. Why is it so hard for us as humans to 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 make that shift like why why do we feel that nagging feeling like oh man that person just got this piece of business i wish i had gotten that piece of business why do we feel that way yeah well the you know part of it is noticing that first of all you're feeling that way this is part of getting out of it that mindfulness like oh and I really think it's because it's giving us an indication that there's maybe something we haven't done that we wish we had or something we did do that we wish we didn't. Years ago, when I was a financial advisor, I remember having all this um, edge on Susie Orman, right? Lots of financial advisors, they don't talk about it as much anymore, but they really don't like her. And um, I actually did like personal growth work on my thing on Susie Herman. And I realized that my stuff I had up against her was about how I wasn't stepping out in a bigger way, how I wanted to serve more people. And, and she was just like a, a mirror for that. Like now I realize she serves a market that is, you know, really helpful to a lot of people and her people are her people. And so I think that that happens to us when we're, just at some level not feeling good about where we're currently at. Yeah, I you know that's a your your point about that projection is is really well taken because you see and and the Susie Orman analogy is a good one because there's 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 a Susie Orman in every industry and there's somebody at home sitting on the couch who's a better financial advisor or there's somebody at home sitting on the couch who's a better entrepreneur and they see the person on nowadays on YouTube or even on TV, giving advice and guidance, and they're thinking, and that person has 30,000 followers or 300,000 followers or 3 million followers, and they think to themselves, well, I, you know, why don't I have that audience? And the reality is that them having those people in their audience, them getting that recognition, that in no way prohibits you from having an audience of followers. And I realized this the hard way. I'm an intensely competitive person. And in one way or another, I've been doing some sort of relationship-based business development for over 30 years. And I worked in an environment from time to time where people would pit one salesperson against the other. I realized when I went out on my own that people who would subscribe to my stuff, people who would come to my events, people who would work with me in a coaching setting, a lot of times they were also working with other people who I would consider competitive. They just liked getting feedback from multiple people. And there's nothing wrong with that. So 
in order for me to win, you don't have to lose. That is a huge revelation. I can win and you can win at the same time. I think, uh, you know, I'm really glad that you highlighted that because I think that makes the point so well. I mean, you're an author. How would you feel if, you know, you were the only book on you know, being a better financial advisor that people bought, or you were the only book on personal finance, you had the only book on personal finance that people bought. Well, one of two things would happen. They got nothing to compare and contrast with you, right? So they really can't tell how good you are unless they compare your book to somebody else's book. And that was the other revelation that I had. In order for me to be good, <laughs> there has to be somebody to compare me to. If I'm the only person out there, they really can't tell how good I am. I mean, that's that's the way I broke out of it. Now, you mentioned financial advisors, right? Even in the same office, there can be financial advisors that have that, that jealousy. What is the best way? What's your advice to those people who are in an office environment how do you encourage them to be more collaborative because they can all win? What's, what, what do you do to get them out of that thinking? Part of it is knowing what you're really awesome at and who your perfect fit client is, right? So my book, Picture Your Prosperity, isn't for everyone. It's not for someone that wants really granular investment strategies. Like, I'm not that person, Um and in that office setting is to realize that there's lots of ways to collaborate with people and maybe somebody has an expertise that you don't. And, um, and teamwork's really awesome. Just to go back to the book a little bit, I know I'm working on another book now and when I wrote my, my first two books, I remember thinking, oh my God, other people are out there talking about this already because I'm on all these mailing lists. And then I came to realize that, but they're not talking about it like I am. And my voice is going to be different for people. And all the mailing lists I'm on, all the people who are going to read my book are not on the same mailing list. They don't know these people are out there talking about it. So with both your question, how do people collaborate better, and this idea of how do I set myself apart is to realize what you're uniquely awesome at. I call it your superpower because it is um, going to be different than anyone else's. And that is a way to... Um, and for me, I found that it made me more confident about the information I put out there. And it also helps me speak to who my people are in a um, more targeted, more authentic way. All right, way. let's talk about that. Let's talk about the um, the creative or the more intuitive side of, um, of thinking about your financial situation. And contrast it for me with the, you know, hard numbers, practical, analytical side which resonates more with people and how how do you uh, how do you help people who are used to seeing you know X type of return, this type of investment will will help you get to this place in this time versus the more creative, intuitive uh, part of the what what you're really focused on. how do you how do you talk to people in a way that really gets this intuitive part to resonate with them? Well, we live in a material world, clearly, but we also live in an ethereal world. So the material world is how most of financial services forever has talked about money. That is the left brain side of things, the running the numbers, the budgeting, the ticking and tying, the asset allocation. Super important, right? We live in a material world. The other side about creativity and intuition and um, 
imagination often gets dissed in financial services. But if you really talk to some of the best investors out there, they'll say like it just, you know, I went with my gut and I and I balanced it with this left brain side. If you think about someone who's great at all the numbers, and maybe they're even great at generating revenue, but they go home at night and kick their dog and fight with their partner, like who wants that? That's against the current. And on the other side, if you've got the person who's sitting on their meditation pillow chanting ohm, waiting for the universe to provide and not doing anything about it, that doesn't usually work either. And what I saw over all those years that I was working with individuals and speaking to large groups of people is the magic happens when you do both. And some people lean a little bit more to one side or the other, but part of it is the more creative, intuitive people just think they suck at money. And that's so not true. They just have a different skill set. That's great. Uh, I think that's a, that's a very good description. All right, I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to take a minute and think about it. What is it that most people miss when it comes to thinking about their money? What is it that they miss when it comes to thinking about their money. I want you to take just a quick minute and think about that because I need to remind folks that we are brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. For over 35 years, the folks at Sandrowski have been helping people reduce their tax exposure. They've been helping them also take more money home when they sell their business. And that's what I really wanna to talk to you about today. I was meeting with Harry Sandrowski, the principal of Sandrowski Corporate Advisors last week, and he told me a story about a business that he was working with. So this business owner was preparing to sell his business, and he brought Sandrowski in five years prior to getting ready to sell his business. And his challenge was really, hey, listen, I want to reduce my current tax exposure. So Sandrowski did a did an evaluation of the business. They made some suggestions. They made some adjustments to the business. And the current tax exposure at the time in real time was reduced. But the real value that Sandrowski provided was in helping this business owner look at his business in a different way and restructure the way the business was organized. Now, why was this valuable? Well, the business owner sold five plus years later. And when selling the business, he was able to take advantage of what's called the Qualified Small Business Exemption. And it's an exemption in the tax code that most of the big accounting firms don't really focus on. They don't focus on it for two reasons. Number one, many people don't understand it. And number two, it's just not something that they see every day because it's for businesses that are $50 million in annual revenue or less. Well, what Harry and his team were able to do for this particular business owner, they were able to save him. You're never going to believe the amount over $10 million in tax exposure when this gentleman went to sell his business, specifically because the business was restructured five years prior and they were able to file under the qualified small business uh, stock exemption so that this gentleman could make sure that a certain amount of the capital gains was exempted. Now, if you're not an accountant and you don't wanna hear about exemptions and capital gains, just know this. When you sell your business, you will pay less 
Call Sandrowski, have them look at your business. If they can't help you, they can't help you. But if they can, you're talking about millions of dollars in tax exposure. You can reach out to Sandrowski today at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors is a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. If you want a business development blueprint, that works off of relationships. So let's say you're an attorney and you want to grow your book of business. And why do you want to grow your book of business? Well, I work with attorneys all day long that are in big firms and they want to be able to take charge of their career. That doesn't mean that they're going to move from firm to firm, but they want more flexibility. If you want more flexibility, the way to, ha- the way to have that is to have a book of business that is based on relationships where you can bring the client with you if you decide to go somewhere else. The Revenue Roadmap Guide will help you. It's the same guide I use with my clients. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info, download your guide for free today. We are speaking with Ellen Rogan. She's an abundance activist. She's going to help you change your thinking and change your approach to money. If you're a financial advisor, she's going to give you a perspective that will really resonate with your clients. If you want to reach out to her, you can do so by calling 847-716-7792. That's 847-716-7792. All right, Ellen, I asked you a question before uh, we read those spots there. What is it that most people miss when it comes to thinking about their money? Most people start at taking action, which is great. Action's important. Thinking about, okay, how am I going to, what do I need to save? How do I allocate my portfolio? If it's in business, how do I make sure I'm profitable? Clearly important. But they miss the first two steps that I think make everything flow more smoothly and get better results. And the first step is really noticing what are you thinking about your money or your business? What kind of beliefs are in the playing in the background that might be putting the parking brake on your success? So what you're thinking, and the second step is having a super clear vision of where you wanna go. And, um, and jumping right into action doesn't help you get where you're going if you don't actually know where that is. All right, so I love, I love your approach. I want you to help me with, with this, because I've seen this time and time again in my personal life with members of my family. I've also seen it with some of my clients. People have like a, like a certain set point when it, comes to, when it comes to money, and they can't seem to break through that set point, right? You either, you think of yourself as a $100,000 a year person and every job they get is within 10% of what they think they're worth. Or they have certain habits, right? And they maybe, they run up their credit cards and then they work for a year and a half, two years and then pay them all down. And then what do they do? They go and run them all the way back up again and they work for a year and a half and they pay them all the way down. Is this, is there something it's not a, this is not a practical application. There's something in their psyche that causes them to face these barriers or to have these habits. Given your approach, and it's such a positive approach, how would you give advice to somebody that has a set point and they can't break through from an earnings perspective, or they have these habits with their, with their money where they just keep running up their credit? How do you help people break through using your, your positive messaging? 
Well, the first step in breaking through those set points or that ceiling is to be aware that you actually have them. You know, we develop our attitudes and beliefs, our subconscious beliefs. Um, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's a cellular biologist, said from conception to age seven is when most of them are ingrained. That means all this crap is playing in the background. We don't even know it's there. And especially with money, people think like, oh, if I just knew how to budget or if I had the right advisor, everything would be better. But if there's um, disaligned beliefs that are invisible to us playing back here, it doesn't matter what happens. And so part of it is taking them from back here and putting it out here. And, and sometimes it's just even knowing they're there. So a quick story, I started my financial advisory practice when I was in my latish 20s. And um, at that time, I had all these letters after my name, CPA, CFP, MBA, blah, 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 EIEIO. And I started to get really curious about people's attitudes and beliefs about money, including my own. And I realized that I was operating under this belief that it was my husband's job to make money and that I probably couldn't even do it. And that was only because that's what I saw happen in my family. Not that my mother couldn't have done it, but my dad went off to work. My mom stayed home for most of my childhood. And then when she started to work, it was in things that didn't generate a lot of money. Now, that belief made absolutely no sense for what the reality was in my life, right? I was running my own business, but I know if I hadn't uncovered that and unpacked that belief, I don't think my business would have been as successful and I'd be able to sell it and then go on to do other things. And so sometimes there's more work that's needed, but sometimes it's just looking at like, that doesn't even make any sense. You know, just because we have a thought or a belief does not mean it's true. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point. And it's something that we all need to keep in mind that just because you think it doesn't mean that it's accurate thinking, right? <laughs> now, let's talk for a minute about the um, the financial plan that people should have. Okay, because everybody talks about, oh, you need to have a, you need to have a financial plan. You have a, um, a, a, you know, an interesting approach to a financial plan. Explain to us what your approach is toward creating a financial plan and how that helps people actually um, make it so in the long term. Um, I suggest people create a visual financial plan, which I call a prosperity picture, and. Um, it is really like some of you may be familiar with a vision board where you take images of things that are important to you that you want in the future and put them somewhere you can see them. It's kind of like that with, with more structure around it. So you would put things that you want to have um, happen sooner on the left side, five years or less, late, later, five years or more on the right side, things that don't require money on the bottom and things that require money on the top. And what happens through this process of looking at things visually is that you start to think about goals or things that are important to you that maybe you hadn't thought about before. You know, I'm a certified financial planner, and there's this whole process that the CFP wants you to go through with clients, which is helpful. Um, but I also realize it's kind of top down. I, financial advisors can tend to set goals for their clients. Like, okay, when do you want to retire? Where do you want to send your kids to college? Like those things are important maybe, but not like, well, what else is important to you? And um, this idea of a visual financial plan, I want to show you mine real quick because it's hanging right here so I could see it all the time. So this is my plan. 
And um, what it has done was help me highlight some of the things that are most important to me um, and keep them in front of me. It's programming my reticular activating system, which is this filter we have in our minds, to notice things. Now, it's not that just putting it on the board makes it happen, but it helps me filter opportunities so I'm paying attention in different ways. Um, just to share a couple kind of success stories. So when we first came out with our book, our goal was to be on the New York Times bestseller list. So on my prosperity picture, I had the New York Times logo. And the cool thing about this is sometimes we don't know how things are going to show up for us. And it made me think about this when you were talking about contrast before. So the two days before the book came out, we were actually reviewed in the New York Times mutual fund section. Like, I didn't even know that was a possibility. And I honestly think it was a contrast thing because Tony Robbins' book came out the same time. And our book is very different than his personal finance book. And I think the guy who wrote it really wanted to contrast ours against his. Um, and so, you know, I always like to say this or something better. We did get on the New York Times bestseller list, but the fact that it showed up that way. And then for many years, I've had this vision of wouldn't it be cool to get hired to speak in Australia? Because I've always wanted to go there. I think I want to live there, but I've never visited. So I feel like that should happen first before I pick up and move. And I've had on my prosperity picture, a picture of Australia, and I've added New Zealand because I'd like to travel there. And um, so excited to say that in August this year, I'm going with MDRT to speak at their global conference in Australia. Oh, that's wonderful. Yay. That's great. And and I think the benefit of having this goal there is that it's always in front of me. I didn't. I applied to speak. I talked to people from Australia all the time. So it's it's taking action on these things. Just to tie a bow around this, this idea of a financial plan is those goals on the top that require money are part of what you can plan for and how you need to plan for those. Yeah, that's terrific. That's really, really great. All right, so the last thing I want to touch on is this this concept about worrying, right? We're all we're all worried about money or, you know, most people today are in some way worried about money. Even if you have money, you're worried that you're going to lose your money or you're worried that you don't have enough money, right? Part of it is kind of uh, thrust upon us by society, right? Every commercial you watch, just about every commercial you watch for uh, financial advice is, oh, what if your money runs out, right? Or what are you going to do when it comes time to retire? Are you going to die at your desk, right? So part of it is thrust upon us, but part of it is, again, kind of human nature, right? Scarcity versus abundance. So what do we need to do? Is there a way to replace the worry in our life with something that's more productive? If so, what is that? Um, first, on worry about why it's so important to move through it besides it feels crappy. Um, studies have shown there's a book called Scarcity, and the researchers found that when people's backs are really up against the wall financially and they're really worried, your IQ actually drops. So you can't make good decisions. It's not just that it feels bad you're not able to access those higher thinking parts of your brain. So, um, and it's kind of like driving through the fog. It's harder, it's more dangerous. A couple things that help in terms of lowering the worry are um, generosity, actually. It is counterintuitive, but when you are more generous, 
and you're loosening your grip on money, it actually lowers your mm. stress level. There's something called subjective wealth, where if you donate to charity, if you these researchers found if you donate $500 to charity, it gives you the same buzz as getting a $10,000 oh, wow. raise. It's like you've decided, I must be wealthy, that I could do that. And that's great. Um, so helping other people lowers our stress level. And focusing on gratitude. That might sound ushy-gushy, but there's so much research on gratitude that it raises our happiness levels, it lowers our stress levels. And actually, people who are more grateful make more money. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny how that works. There's uh, there's an old expression that the, the hole that you give through is the hole that you receive through. Um, I think the way you phrased it is a lot more articulate than that. But it's, you know, it, it does it does make a lot of sense because when you give to other people, you feel in a way kind of less guilty about making more money. Like if anybody's ever written you a big check for your services, you think the first thing you think to yourself is, Oh my God, I really help. I really hope I'm worth this. And that giving helps with your worthiness. Now, listen, it's pretty easy to get over that if you really focus on it. So I don't want anybody to think, Oh, I got to charge less because I'm not worth what I think I'm worth. But that giving helps in a lot of different ways. I think that's I think that's great advice. I really I really appreciate that. Okay, so Ellen, I want you to think about three things. Three things that we're going to take away from our time together. While you're doing that, I am going to remind people that we are brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. So you heard me talk about the tax scenario earlier. I want to talk to you about something else that Sandrowski does. I'll give you an example. There was a business that I know that uh, was a medical billing business and it was worth over $500 million. And the person uh, that owned the business, the gentleman sold a portion of his business for $100 million. That makes him affluent. That makes him wealthy. He needed some help with how he was going to not only manage that wealth, but also invest that money over time. As you can imagine, people came from out of the woodwork to pitch him on investment ideas. In addition, he was going to sell a second portion of his business down the road. He needed to help determining the timing of that. He needed help determining how much he should get for that. Basically, this newfound wealth created a whole host of other let's call them challenges for this individual who wasn't used to handling them. Well, one of the things that I counseled him to do and he approached Sandrowski for this was he ended up forming what's called a family office. Now, a family office is simply just a company that can manage your assets for you if you're wealthy. You probably need somewhere north of 50 million to 100 million dollars in wealth in order to be able to afford the infrastructure that comes with that. But here's what happens. It really is a vehicle for you to give to charitable organizations and the family office can vet those charitable organizations for you. It's a way for you to handle the inbound bombardment of pitches that will come with business ideas you can give those to the family office and the family office will have a criteria there'll be people in place that will vet them for you now you don't need to worry about forming a family office the structure of it you can call sandrowski and they can help you with that part and sandrowski can even help you with some of the other experts they work with to help with investment guidance to help with 
handling some of the charitable contributions. They can help with vetting the charities because the last thing you want is for this money that you've made to become more of a burden for you. If you're thinking of forming a family office, I want you to reach out to Sandrowski today. Give them a call at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors is a CPA firm with a different perspective. Also, don't forget, my revenue roadmap guide is my gift to you. It's available for you right now. Go download it. It's relationship-based business development. It'll make your life a lot easier. It'll help you build up your book of business so that you can take control of your future. We're speaking today with Ellen Rogan. She's an abundance activist. She thinks about money differently, and she thinks about the way you advise people about their money a little differently. I want you to give her a call, 847 716 seven seven nine two eight four seven seven one six seven seven nine two you can also pick up a copy of her book i have the link down in the show notes her email is there too as well as her website all right alan what are the three things you want folks to take away from our time together today um number one the importance of visualizing so Part of having a prosperity picture is also running through the mental rehearsal of what you want to have happen. It Many of you out there may do this with sport things like golf or tennis. It works for business goals as well. So that's one. Two is to loosen your grip, be generous. Set up a generous, a systematic way of giving. Just like hopefully you're saving on an automatic basis, whether that's in your own 401k plan or Um, other types of savings, set up an automatic giving plan so that you can be out there um, loosening your grip and sharing what you have. And the last thing is gratitude. I, I love that idea of really sharing with other people in your life and in your business the difference they've made for you. And being grateful for money for being there in your life. Money thinks it's cool when you're grateful money for it. Money thinks it's cool when you're grateful for it. That's a great quote for us to end on. Ellen Rogan, the abundance activist. You can reach out to her at 847-716-7792. 847-716-7792. If you call Ellen Rogan, your money will think you're cool just for doing that. So I encourage you to reach out and do that today. Ellen, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to have you. Thank you, Dave. My honor and pleasure. All righty, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. We're back here again tomorrow with another edition of our show. Until then, I'm Dave Lorenzo. Here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.